I still want to socialize with you guys, but I also value (laughs) your time. So (laughs) separate appointment. Yeah. Welcome to Making It an Opera, a podcast about what it really means to find your voice and use it. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Kuhlman. Y'all, I am so thrilled and excited to have Julie Weima and Anastasia Nikolov of Opera Programs Berlin. They have been, from the beginning of our friendship, two of the most badass women I know. Executive Director Julie Weima is a renaissance woman of opera. Having worked in both Europe and in the United States as a director, stage manager, wig and makeup artist, costume designer, producer, and educator, and as a singer with a gorgeous soprano voice, I might add. That's borrowing from her bio, but I know this to be true. I have worked with her in all these capacities, and she has a way of holding you through the hardest things you have ever done and giving you what you need both physically and emotionally to get over yourself and make it happen. Artistic director Anastasia Nikolov is her match. Having begun her studies in her home country of Bulgaria, she has now lived, worked, and studied throughout the US, the UK, and Germany. She is a champion of new music, working with some of the most important composers of today, some writing and dedicating their works to her. I can understand why. I've been lucky to both watch her perform and to share the stage with her. Her generosity and passion come out in her soprano voice, and getting to perform with someone like that is like being simultaneously embraced and lit on fire. Both continue to balance performance careers while they run Opera Programs Berlin, which started in the beginning of 2019 and has grown over the pandemic to a fully online school run by and for singers with the motto, Here. You are an artist. Full disclosure, I got to be in the premier online class of the whole instrument, physical, mental, and vocal alignment. Besides being proud that my dear friends were running it, I was bowled over by the positive environment fostered there. And what I learned from my technique has been paradigm shifting. It's not just that it's positive, though. It is treated as further education for professional artists. There is no sunshine and fairy tales being sold here. No condescension, no sense of, this is what you need to do, little singer, to get to have a career when you grow up. This is valuable instruction at eye level, and it is why their programs are among the only paid programs I will still recommend to young singers. Our talk was a balm for my soul. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, lovelies, Ati and Julie, welcome. Thank you so much for being part of the first season of Making It an Opera. Thank you for supporting me in this way. And I hope our conversation will be an inspiration to everyone who gets to hear it, just like you guys have been an inspiration for me 
since I met you. And um, I have watched you guys unfold in your power as you have built OPB. And I'm really excited to get your story about how you got there, how you got to this incredible creation that is Opera Programs Berlin. So first of all, I want to ask each of you, what brought you to opera? What got you hooked? Uh, you want to go first? Or do you sure. want to just call on us? <laughs> <laughs> so we don't do this every single time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will call so- on you and Ati, please go first. Okay. Well, just for the sake of all listeners, my name is actually Anastasia. For those few chosen ones, it is Ati. It is my nickname. But for the purposes of this podcast, I will be Anastasia. So um, actually, my mother uh, is a professional oboe player. And I grew up in the pit of the orchestra with the orchestra being my babysitter. Um, I probably heard Verdi's Aida over 200 times before the age of 10, and I can still hum every single note. But what hooked me was initially the ballet dancers. Um, I was fascinated with dance and with ballet. I knew every single step of the choreography of each opera. And I didn't really think a lot about the singers. They were just there. Um, They were not integral part for me. Later, I played percussion, piano, classical guitar. And I was part of the young performers at the National uh, Theater in Bulgaria. Um, So I did a lot of theater and a lot of productions. And about 16 years old, um, I decided to give very lightly, not very seriously, singing a go. And I had a voice lesson. Um, And the teacher encouraged me, strongly encouraged me to do this as a hobby. Um, She didn't deem that I had enough talent (laughs) to pursue this professionally. (laughs) So I took her on (laughs) to prove her wrong. So fast forward, you know, a, a year later, I left for the U.S. with a scholarship and I was hooked. I was really hooked, not only in opera, uh, classical singing, in all its facets. So that's how I got hooked on it. Was it the feeling of singing or was it this extra communi- think, extra layer of communication? I think it combined my instrumental background with the theater background and also the sensations that I had, you know, as a 16-year-old, you know, coming into your own body and all of a sudden I sang and had all of these sensations and that was fascinating to me and I was I was hooked didn't realize it at the time but that was the moment yeah Mm -hmm. thank you and Julie how about you yeah um I've been a musician my entire life quite literally from the moment I could speak um I took piano and later voice lessons was in choirs did school musicals all that kind of stuff throughout my childhood I was persuaded by friends in undergrad to join the opera chorus I was studying science at the time but taking all music classes for all of my electives Um, the first production I was in was La Cenerentola which you may note does not actually have a women's chorus but when you are a music school and have three times as many women (laughs) as men you add women to the chorus Um, (laughs) from (laughs) from that very first production I was hooked the feeling of being on stage and the way that opera combines so many different art forms um really made me fall in love pretty instantly 
the first role I sang was Lisette in La Rondine, which was also incredibly a special experience. Um, opera has been the arena in which I have made some of the best friendships of my life, as well as many of the achievements I'm most proud of. I'm so interested in you were a you were a science major, <laughs> and then you that switched. Didn't last long. <laughs> yeah, I was. What were it you was, studying? Um, molecular and cellular biology, and with the idea of eventually going into some form of genetic study. Didn't I didn't make it far enough to know exactly how I wanted to specialize beyond that, but. I think science has always been an intellectual passion for me, but it wasn't until undergrad when I was really immersed in the actual physical doing of it that I kind of came to realize that it was, in fact, an intellectual passion, not something I wanted to physically do for the rest of my life. Um, mm. And it continues to be exactly that. I, I love it. I do not want to do it. I love talking to people who do it. But for me, there was kind of a... I don't know, crisis of, well, gosh, this is what I've been thinking of doing for the last five years. If I don't do this, then what can, What do I do? And I was blessed to have a really amazing graduate student voice teacher my first semester of, of college. And I, in a crying fit of a voice lesson, she asked me, well, what do you want to do? Like when you envision ideally without any other obstacles what what would you picture yourself doing and my immediate mm -hmm. response was i want to conduct a choir that tours and she's wow. like, okay then do that then that is it that's the thing i'll give the rest of the story a bit later but i noticed a real difference in what i felt like i could actually see myself doing for the rest of my life as opposed to the things that I thought not necessarily that were expected of me but that I had pictured for myself for a long time mm. and that flows directly into the next question mm. which is where did you see yourself where did you see yourselves in opera as you were coming up through the education system and like what was your big dream and I think we have such an interesting collection here because Anastasia, you started in Bulgaria and then went through the whole American system. Julie, you went through the whole American system. Both of you moved to Germany and began careers or carried on careers there, rather. So, Julie, we kind of already have your big dream, at least in the beginning. Can you go a little more into that and then... I'm excited to hear from Anastasia. Yeah, um, I'm actually not sure I ever had a big dream early on. Certainly not like I do now. I discovered I loved opera and I knew I wanted to keep doing it. And I kept taking opportunities as they presented themselves. But I think because I came to it kind of sideways, and this is the second half of that story, I then thought I was auditioning for the music education and choral conducting major but was accepted into the voice performance department. And I was like, ah. well, okay, uh, cool. I'll do that then. And so my idea or understanding of what an opera career could or should be was very slow to solidify. Plus I was 
always also interested in other things, other aspects of the art form, and always wanted to create projects in addition to singing in them. So maybe the answer to the question of where did you see yourself in opera was everywhere, um, which is still very much my dream. I just have a more specific way of defining it now. Yeah. When I think of you and the work I've been able to see you do, it was just like, if I could just like smear my hand over the whole opera industry and like all <laughs> of the things available there, that's kind of how I would describe it. Anastasia, what was your big dream coming from Bulgaria to America and going through all of that and coming to Germany? I did have the big dream, you know, the, the dream that we're pretty much fed in formal Western conservatory studies, you know, the path of uh, um, finishing conservatory studies, young artist programs, contracts, agents, bigger contracts, bigger roles and so forth. Um, I was lucky enough to meet Cara Master Domenico after I finished my studies and owe her a lot of my bread and butter, um, not only in building my voice, but also in teaching me as a performer and as a pedagogue, vocal pedagogue. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt that my path has always had a duality of performance and education. I did have a, a studio in, a voice studio in, in the States, um, was assistant director there, um, worked in administration as well, arts administration quite a bit, but it's something I did on the side. And my main focus was still just performing that's how I I saw myself and it wasn't until I moved to Germany and worked here as a performer and still did education on on the side something that, that I did in secret just so I can keep feeding that you know that mirage of a unified career path that we we all strive for or we have educated in us uh, mm -hmm. through our formal studies and little by little, I realized that I want to tap officially and formally into way more aspects of um, our business. And, mm -hmm. you know, for lack of a better word, kind of came out with all of the things that actually fire my imagination, including education. So I kind of have mm -hmm. the dual path and being an education and having the big dream and those paths in the last few years have merged quite mm. harmoniously i would love to go more into that because i i do think that there is this really there's this kind of path of integration that we have to go through as humans in general but also as artists because we're taught we can be one thing and everyone has to understand that we can do this one thing and we can do it really, really well. And then that's why you should hire us because we're doing this one thing. And, you know, we're obviously also very, very successful at it. And so you should hire us because we're only doing this one thing. And that's such a limited understanding of what a human is and especially of what an artist is, because the whole idea behind an artist is that your brain is going out into the world and kind of collecting all of these different experiences and assimilating them into something that hasn't existed before. And so what, what has come up for you as an artist 
now that you have been able to integrate and be a whole person in your industry, be able to just be open about all of who you are to both your colleagues on stage and to your people when you're being an administrator? I mean, it definitely has made everything more coherent and way more harmonious, both within me and outside. I'm a better artist for it. Um, I'm a better colleague for it. Um, I'm a better person for it. So I I just wish that I had done this a little earlier and I, that I was encouraged and I had role models uh, who are very actively out there promoting this. I wish I had this in my formal conservatory training. I definitely saw singular cases of this, so to speak, growing up as a as a young artist. But I, it, it was not something that I felt was accepted for me. Um, it may also be from my upbringing. You know, I was brought up to be a wife and bear children and that was the thing that I had to do and I could either be an artist or a mother and a wife Mm. um there was no sense of you could be both or you can be anything it's just the way I was brought up so that duality was something that I grew up with as well so it was very very easy for me to to just be one thing and do the rest kind of not seriously on the side but I, I wish that there were more role models out there for younger artists who, you know, do it all for lack of a better cliche uh, mm-hmm. expression and who are um, encouraging that. I know Julie has a line in her bio, you know, a Renaissance woman. And I, I wish that we're, we're trained and encouraged uh, to be Renaissance in all the ways mm. as artists. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you have had such a path of integration, you know. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just get chills hearing this. I'm so glad I get to interview you guys this way. And Julie, I think, is it correct to say that you maybe coming into it sideways? I love how you say that. Was that ever kind of a, a specter for you that you felt like you could only really showcase one part of who you are? Because I knew you personally, I just knew that you could do all of these things and I worked with you in all of those capacities, but I don't know if I would have worked with you in all those capacities if you had hidden half of them to like seven eighths of them. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your, what your path around that was. I think it happened very naturally. I certainly noticed kind of pressure to conform to that like single pathway idea and I certainly noticed the success that came to some people who were singularly focused that's Mm -hmm. that's going to happen um when you devote all of your time to one thing you will naturally become more specialized in it faster but I whether there was pressure for me to do that or not I just didn't I don't know. I've never been happy just doing one thing. I don't know if I so much felt the pressure to do that myself that I just noticed that other people were were falling into that. Um, mm. And that was okay, but it, it didn't ever align with, with me and not necessarily with where I wanted to go, but just what I felt like doing at any given time. That kind of leads into 
conversations we had when when I was so sure that I was going to go off and have this big career, <laughs> especially the the part that I now look back and think was funny that you were chuckling at me about because I didn't have my grad degree in the beginning of my career in America. So I didn't know what that was at all. And so here I am after I think about six years of career as a chorister in Germany, higher education there and moving back, like getting ready to move back to America and thinking, okay, that's where I'm going to break through. <laughs> and you were just like, um, no, I don't know, maybe, maybe you will. I mean, I knew you were my friend and I knew you loved me. And it took me a while to realize it had nothing to do with me, the way you were reacting. It had so much to do with the experience you have had and with the perspective that you already brought to this industry and to this career that, you know, your life is about more than one thing. Your abilities are about more than one thing. And what I'm hearing now, and it was going to be my next question, but I think what I'm hearing now is you didn't have that big watershed moment. It was just always that way for you. Am I putting that in your mouth or was there a time when you realized kind of like for Anastasia, I'm not going to try and just be or try and show people that I'm just one thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to come out and be me. Oh, gosh, I don't know that it was ever that intentional. And I would just like to clarify and affirm, first of all, <laughs> that any eye rolling on my part was never, ever, ever about my belief in your talent, the quality oh, of I your know. instrument your level of skill, or even your drive to take you there. Um, and I am truly sorry that that's how it came across at the time. Um, my skepticism was and is about the idea that there is a single big career, in air quotes for those who can't see me, um, a single picture of what that looks like, that every singer should want that, and that to achieve anything other than that is to have failed at opera. Um, mm. I don't subscribe to this premise. And uh, while I also don't begrudge people who do have careers that we might call traditionally successful, I am just vehemently opposed to this continued perpetuation of that picture as the only version of success we are allowed to be proud of. Hey, it's Gwendolyn. If you think these conversations are important, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at makingit.opera. That's making it without the G. You can also support the podcast by going to makingitinopera.com and making a donation. That's making it an opera, always without the G. And listeners, every once in a while, I want to make a podcast to just workshop this question with all of you. And for that, I need your help. Record a voice memo of yourself telling me what has been the most fulfilling thing you've done with your art and what it means to you to make it, and email that file to me at makingitanopera at gmail.com. Let's keep changing the narrative together. Okay, back to the show. Now you guys both run opera programs Berlin. And one thing that you both do, and I'd like to hear from you both about this, is you do some career coaching for young artists. Mm -hmm. So you kind of sit down with people and and hear their desires and hear where they want to go with all of this and give them some guidance. I'm interested what you guys encounter 
with that perspective that you now both have that there isn't there isn't just one way to make it an opera it's why i named this show this way i wanted <laughs> i wanted people to come who think that this is going to be all about how to make it an opera and realize that there's no one way to do it so anastasia what kind of conversations do you feel like you have a lot and how do you end up bringing that new perspective of everything is actually making it if your life is the way you want it yeah I've been so overwhelmed in the best possible way by the conversations that we've had with artists from around the world, realizing that we all have the same anxieties and worries and struggles and um, a lot of similar goals as well. There's a lot of worries about age discrimination, motherhood, family, career balance in place. Um, starting later, am I too old? Am I too young? Am I enough? Uh, what do I need to do to get a job? These are all questions that we hear over and over and over again and sadly I have seen a big percentage of singers coming out of conservatories uh, with those questions just amplified rather than answered Mm. Mm. I have also seen a lot of brilliant minds that clearly are so curious and hungry to know everything and and all about our industry but they have been focused only on making it onto that one traditional trajectory um, of a career so what I personally have tried to communicate as a message um, is that you are enough (laughs) as an artist at all stages of your development you're valuable you should demand space, voice, and respect and have as loud of a voice in all aspects of our business. And that makes you a better artist, a better colleague, a better person. Then if you try to fit into somebody else's idea of what success is. Yeah. Oh, praise God that you guys are doing this. Okay. I can't, <laughs> I can't nod any harder on you. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally the only reason this should probably sometimes be a YouTube video is like to catch me dancing when somebody's saying something so awesome. <laughs> can, you um, have, can you have like a special sound effect that happens <laughs> that you like put in that, wah, me, that, ever, that like people who listen to the podcasts know Gwen's dancing now? Perfect. Um, God, I mean, do you have anything to add to that, Julie? I mean, Anastasia said it absolutely perfectly. What she described just brought up a memory for me, which was um, the first opera program I ever did, which was Opera in the Ozarks, which is a fantastic program. Really good. I still recommend it. But I remember having a conversation with one of the directors and in my, you know, young naive having really kind of just barely gotten started in my opera training self my deepest question that I wanted them to answer was like do I have what it takes and 
I can giggle about it now because I realize the ridiculousness of that question because there, there can be no answer to it. We all have what it takes. It's a question of what is, what is the right path for us and what do I have to give to the world? And through what medium do I want to do that? And the, the, this person gave the best answer that they could have, which is, I don't, I don't know. That's not the right question. The question is, how badly do you want it? And therefore, how hard are you willing to work for it? Which is a, it's a pretty decent answer. I think if I were to have, and I, and I do frequently, we both do frequently have that question asked of us, do Absolutely. I have what it takes? Again, I think that was a good answer. It just, I would, I would go a bit more specific with it now, um, now in hindsight and, and being, you know, now in the position to have that question asked of me. And just as a side note, what an awesome responsibility that is. Um, I know both of us do not take it lightly and we honor the artists who trust us with the answer to that question. Um, I would go a bit further with the answer of that's not the right question to not just how hard are you willing to work for it, but also what I said earlier, which is, you know, what is it in your soul that is burning to get out that the world needs? And then what is the best expression that you have in order to bring that to the world? How are you going to deliver that in a way that is the most true for yourself? And, and the, you know, what is the most vitally needed thing that you have to give? And then it's really just a question of capitalizing on those opportunities and honing the craft so that you can better deliver that fire mm. from your soul to the world. I would also give a secondary part of that answer, which is the craft itself. One of the things that we do in these consultations is we really get very detailed in the feedback that we give to artists in terms of like identifying their own strengths, discussing how to capitalize on those, identifying areas where perhaps there's improvement to be made and figuring out how to make those improvements, finding the right tools, finding the right people, the right team to uh, perhaps bring up the areas which are deficient, while at the same time realizing that those things are just perhaps gaps in education or or we all don't learn everything at the same rate simultaneously. And so it's it's just a matter of, okay, well, you've been focusing on this one area for a while. That's really quite, it's, it's in quite good shape. Um, this other area has perhaps been neglected um, in exchange. And so now it's time to bring that one up to the, mm. to the same level. And it's not, it's never a value judgment. It's simply mm. a matter of honing one's craft. And so this sort of long-winded secondary part of the answer to the, do I have what it takes is, yes, let's figure out how to make that show. Mm -hmm. You have what it takes if this is what you really want to do. And that you are inherently worthy 
of mm. achieving your goals. Mm. Um, there, there will be obstacles. The world is a difficult place and there's a fair amount of luck that goes into it, particularly in opera, achieving, you know, huge success in opera. There's no small amount of luck involved in that as well, but, but that it has nothing to do with one's inherent worth. Everyone is worthy of achieving what they want. Yes. And I, I love how what you're saying really goes into what you two have made together. So you asking that question of other people, what is it you burn to do? What lights your soul on fire? And what is the best expression for it? And I think that brings us to, to OPB and how you guys created that. I'm very interested in this, in this creative process, this process of creating this thing that never existed. Because part of our part of our whole training is how do you get how do you plug into something that is already going? Mm -hmm. How do you get picked to be part of something that already exists? Almost our entire art form, with the exception of of new music, is reproducing great works of the past. So it's mm -hmm. it's also inherent in the art form itself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is a mindset. I do think that there is, there's the, really this mindset of, I need to be the best, I need to be the next best, you know, cog uh, mm -hmm. for this wheel that already exists, rather than thinking of yourself as someone who is creating it new every mm -hmm. time. But I know that you guys have both created new things over and over before you even got to OPB. I don't think OPB would be as amazing as it is if you hadn't already created those other things. And I'm interested in what, what did you learn from these first ventures, from these first iterations that you feel like you were able to bring into your partnership to make OPB even better? Anastasia, I would love to hear from you about that. People, 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 people. <laughs> Uh, yes. So we're all up to disco here. <laughs> <laughs> we're all dancing. Um, for me, it's all about people, people, people. And I've made all of the mistakes. I still make plenty of mistakes and learning from them. And I am particularly excited about creating new, new things. I don't necessarily like reproducing which i guess doesn't pan very well for me uh, in our business but um i i love that sense of creating something new and shiny and seeing how it works um and kind of releasing it to the world and seeing seeing it come to life that I, idea of you know having an idea in the shower at i don't know at midnight and then you know, seeing it taking shape and then grow and then grow and grow and grow and getting out of the right people involved, the people that it, um, that it resonates with, and then seeing it all happen. I remember us having this moment when Julie and I looked at each other at the first performance 
of uh, the Sangold um, during our first summer program with orchestra and full cast and full audience. And we just looked at each other with the first, with opening chords of the, of the prelude. And we just, we just both lost it. were sobbing, <laughs> like lost completely because we remember that kernel, that little kernel of, of an idea and then how it took, you know, about a year and a half of that kernel to become a reality. And now it's a reality and it's its own living, breathing thing. But I regress. <laughs> so OPB was, for me, it has been a culmination of many things that I've done, that I've tested and put my toes in different kind of types of waters. Um, of course, as a performer, first and foremost, as an educator from very early on since I was in conservatory, as a producer of both um, creative projects and educational projects, and as a consultant, kind of having really trying to have the pulse of the whole industry, both in the States and here, and creating new things. You know, right before OPB happened, I co-created the first Berlin Art Song Festival, which I could not believe Berlin had never had before. And that was a, quite an exciting thing. And it, I made a lot of mistakes that informed the forming of, of OPB and my partnership with Julie. But it still started with an, with an idea. I created an educational program for another organization that I worked for. And then I decided to take my intellectual property and um, do this for real. And the list of partners was very short. It was Julie Weimer, Julie Weimer, Julie Weimer. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had worked together on another yeah. project um, and got along really famously, really, really well. And so when I spoke with her, I remember I didn't even finish my sentence. And she said, yes. Yep. Um, and then and, and it, it just started um, like that as an idea. And then um, it developed from there. Um, as both, you know, an organization and as a partnership and a deeper friendship and mm -hmm. collaboration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Julie, I'm interested in hearing from you. Yeah, I, I was kind of giggling at the beginning of Anastasia's answer because I <laughs> really almost exactly verbatim <laughs> same, <laughs> the same answer. Yeah, I mean, what led us here? Um, many projects means many opportunities to make every mistake in the book and to learn from them and kind of form a system of my own personal best practices. Mm. And oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the most important things I've learned is to be very selective with who I'm willing to work with in what capacity. I'm kind of the type of person who gets along with and can work well with most people. So for a long time, I would just jump into projects with whoever wanted me to. In some cases, and I will be intentionally vague here because it's certainly a very small percentage of people that I've worked with in the past, but in some cases, it led me to collaborating with people who, while very enthusiastic, were not at all prepared to put in the amount of work that it takes to execute a successful project. And I would end up almost single-handedly managing the project, kind of like the, the adult version of the high school history project <laughs> one person ends up doing the whole thing and I have concurrently learned that I don't have to work with everyone just because they ask me to and just because I like them 
saying no one time will not make all future opportunities dry up. So I am much more selective about where I put my time and energy and with whom I will enter into a collaboration. And again, as Anastasia said, the list, particularly for something as big and involved as OPB, was very short. <laughs> mm. And so now you guys found each other. You guys recognized each other as the only partner you would work with on anything like this. And Anastasia, it sounds like you came to Julie, but Julie was already kind of there when you when you like opened your mouth, you know. And so I'm interested in what the thought was about, you know, what what is it that we want to contribute with OPB? How was it? How can we give back? How can we do a training program better? What what are we missing right now in the education of our artists, um, in the further education of our artists? Kind of what were the root thoughts that formed OPB? Mm. So many. <laughs> and and yeah, then I think it, yet so specific too. Um, and it was something well. that both of us came to like hearing our own thoughts out of the other person's mouth. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Well, for me, like the, there are just a few points that collect our or represent our impulse in creating OPB um, as an organization. The, we, we always say that both Julie and I created OPB to create the programs we never got to take. We never got to participate in. We always wanted to participate in and we never found them and we never participated in them. So I spoke about people, 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 but when it came to forming OPV and really shaping it and shaping each program, again, it's about people, people, people. We wanted quality above all. We really handpick first-rate consummate professionals and um, um, leaders in their fields, uh, uh, correspondent fields that um, not only know their subjects inside out, but also communicate and teach it with empathy and truthfulness and a, and a very distinct voice. Um, very often it's people that we have worked with previously that we have learned a lot from and continue to learn from. Especially um, uh, for Carol Maestro Domenico that you mentioned before. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other, I think, essential thing for us was respect, uh, treat every single singer that walks through our doors so to speak, with utmost respect above all and as an artist, no matter where they are from, no matter uh, where they're in their development, that was completely vital to, to us. Um, promote underrepresented communities in classical music. We, we strive to do that in parallel with, or in every single program that uh, we produce. We also wanted to do uh, new things, not just the top 10 hits. We wanted to, to create new exciting things for the classical music community and for, the, for opera and for singers. And I think what sets us really apart is we take care of every single detail. It's only Julie and me and we are, we're it. And we, we're, 
obsessive about every single detail um, and taking care of it and not letting people or things fall through the cracks. And um, I think obsessive is the right word, Julie. I mean, it, it meticulously, mm, yeah. uh, it's we're meticulous in making sure that there's no sense in anyone who we come across within the structures of our programs that feels like we're conveyor belt in any way or mm. form. Yes. Um, we meet each artist at eye level. We make sure that our faculty promotes that and teaches in this way. And we're extremely interested in taking the artists from where they are and furthering their knowledge, their confidence, their dreams. Um, the, to taking them further on their path, the individual path. Mm. That's beautiful. That's for me. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll further that question with Julie to pick up on something you said, Anastasia, about promoting underrepresented communities in opera. And um, that is one strength I just observing OPP as you guys have grown this tendency to want to be amplifiers, to want to kind of stand back and and like push certain people forward, push certain programs forward that will further certain people who, you know, in the traditional path, we don't see a lot of. So I'm interested, Julie, it actually does sound like this, this was intentional, in what ways in particular did you kind of go in thinking we want to do this? Yes. I mean, yes, it was intentional. It always has been. I might repeat information because this is something on which we're so closely aligned. Um, we've had countless conversations over lunch or coffee or now Zoom about how we can highlight the lived experience of underrepresented voices and how we can best leverage what privilege we have to give opportunities to those who have been left behind or fallen through the cracks for whatever reason. Um, it's the reason for the panel discussions. Uh, we are planning more, by the way. Uh, the reason for the Trans Voices Masterclasses, the reason we work very hard to give scholarships to artists who need them, the reason we will never have age limits, and the reason we donated a percentage of our profits to organizations like Black Opera Alliance, Artist Relief Tree, Black Lives Matter and several others for the entire first year of the pandemic. The company, and I, I won't take credit for and, this. I and think, sorry, and no application fees ever. No application and fees we ever. would never, we don't believe in those. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it was Anastasio who first verbalized this, but the company was literally formed out of the question, where are the gaps in the market and how can we fill them? And I don't mean economic market. I mean the industry. We launched the company with the primary goal of reaching those groups which we perceived to be typically left out of the mainstream music education and training program system. And we planned programs which we knew we were not seeing being offered anywhere else. That was the impetus behind the Dramatic Voices program, just as one example. Um, we know that dramatic voices take longer to develop and that many of these amazing singers were being excluded from young artist programs because they simply weren't ready for the types of roles that their voices would eventually grow into. And they were therefore getting behind their colleagues in terms of stage experience by the time it was time to go out into the world and find work. 
Um, and we wanted to create a place for them to gain stage experience, even if their voices weren't fully baked yet. Or conversely, they had waited and their voices were fully developed, but now they're, you know, five or 10 years older than colleagues who are coming into the market for the first time as well. The same is true for the Trans Voices Masterclasses. We could see a very real gap in the industry in terms of both training for singers as well as vocal pedagogy. And we really wanted to help fill it as well as create a safe space for some truly incredible artists. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, are, we have been very pleased to see that trans vocal pedagogy seems to have been getting more attention over the past couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And you actually work with one of the pioneers of like research in this, am I right? I we so quite a few v- quite a few of the pedagogy pioneers. Which yeah, okay. which one are you referring? In your trans voices masterclass, I remember Stephanie. I remember yes, Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, she is she is somebody who who has sort of been at the forefront of publicly training trans sing. I mean, of course, trans singers have been with us forever, but um, in terms of public scholarship and and public um vocal work yeah she's Mm. certainly been at the forefront and has been an incredible resource we've learned so much and we've we've been very honored to be able to connect a lot of trans singers with with someone like her who is so revolutionary in terms of putting real scholarship into the the pedagogy of of training trans voices and do you notice a difference going down that path because I think there's there's this element of respect in it that you guys were talking about so that respect is such an ethos for you guys that treating treating this scholarship treating this program with that same amount of respect when the industry hasn't even shown that sort of recognition, much less respect. I'm interested in the way that an artist can grow when they feel seen. And I know that for a very long time, trans people in particular have been unseen in our industry. And so I am interested in the experience of the students of this class. You've run it now once, I think. Correct. Twice. We've had twice. Twice weekends. already. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Okay. And we have one coming up this month. Well, well there are two different month. things too. Um, we have the Trans Voices master classes, which are we've done two weekends and we have a third weekend coming up. But but okay. Stephanie Weiss also has done several different iterations of her training trans voices workshop, like lecture in our vocal pedagogy programs. So that's um, two different things. With the same, um, with the same instructor, kind of same topic, but it's a slight, two slightly different things, slightly different um, angle. Yeah, mm. I just want to mention here something that, that kind of piggyback on something that you said mm. about being being seen in our industry, which I've seen has given so much empowerment to people. And this is not a revolutionary thought. We all know <laughs> that, that humans respond in this way. But what has been a byproduct um, 
that Julie and I were giddy about um, that something as simple as creating a Facebook group, a closed Facebook group for all the uh, trans um, applicants for the for the trans voices masterclass um, and providing a safe space for trans singers to communicate directly with each mm-hmm. other and there was an ongoing theme of I never knew there's there's so many of us I've never oh met my god trans singer yeah I've never met mm-hmm. another trans singer and um, that it was such a um I cannot cannot even put a a, a thought of what it it, it meant. It was enormous. It was incredible to see and Mm -hmm. to witness and to to be able to see that a a simple impulse can have incredible- Profound effects, um, yeah. Profound effect. So that was- that was in terms of empowering, that was a simple act that empowered so many um, artists. It's such an amazing privilege to have, to kind of come through life, not realizing that the ways in which I am seen as an artist are, are not shared by everyone. And to be in a position to, as Anastasia said, to connect artists who have you know, who have maybe fallen through the cracks or who have not been noticed by the industry at large. And to be able to facilitate that, I mean, there were several times during the process of of chatting with those artists and and meeting people and the chats in the masterclasses and thing I had thoughts like this, I mean, this might be one of the most important things we've ever done. It's almost like starting to rectify the imbalance in who inherently gets respect and who doesn't or who needs to demand it. Mm. And to be able to just simply live in that world where everyone in it is inherently valued and inherently respected and that there's just there's not even that's not even a topic of discussion it's an assumption Mm. that then artistry can blossom because it's already got that foundation of respect and and value I mean it leads to great art Mm. and I mean think of the think of the great art that is not being cultivated because we're we're so busy just trying to build that foundation of respect and value like gosh can like can we just get to that place and and think of the think of the beauty that that will come Mm -hmm. as a result like and think of the beauty that we've already missed out on by not having you know gotten our shit together sooner yeah absolutely i have come to a realization talking to talking to others uh, talking to artists and realizing what a common experience it is in the opera industry to not feel seen to neither feel seen Mm -hmm. nor heard and yet you're up there on stage singing Mm -hmm. Um, that's something that you 
have talked that we've talked about a lot too mm-hmm. in years past about um because we've also we did a panel discussion on ageism we have one in the works about sizeism in the industry and there are so many different i know we have had i mean this is like a t- decade long ongoing discussion for us that's it is like you're singing in front of thousands of people and yet you as you said you are not seen it's for any number of reasons and i think like this is this is literally our passion it is the who is missing out and how can we serve them i i have to say um julia just kind of remembered when you when you said what we have in the works while i was preparing for this interview i was putting down some notes kind of collecting my thoughts and i thought oh don't say this this is going to go on air um you know tread carefully i wish that no artist ever feels like they need to edit themselves in any way or fit into something else that they're not and um, fear the repercussions of that Uh, because speaking with so many artists around the world to kind of go back to the first question about the consultations that we give um, there are certain themes that come up about ageism racism um sizeism i mean they 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 are ongoing 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 um i don't know how many mothers i have talked to that have said i took time off how do i get back Mm -hmm. is there is there a place for me in the industry the the trans singers that i've talked to uh, is there a place for me in this Mm -hmm. industry um you know the non-white cis western people that i've talked to that say is there a place for me in Mm -hmm. this industry and this is an ongoing theme am i old am i am i too old am i too young am i too big am i too small am i too loud am i too quiet the industry is failing at seeing people is meeting them at eye level and i'm gonna get off my soapbox but um i think that is in the core of of re-educating that in our in our business yeah oh lord hi listeners we're gonna take a crying break right now we'll be yeah excuse me excuse me Mm. yeah hot damn yeah yep my next question is how do you feel like you are pushing the industry forward and you answered it right there it for me it was kind of a watershed moment in a way um that came on over the course of a couple of years, realizing I will never be skinny enough. I will never know enough about this art. I will never have good enough technique. There's not an enough that I can be to quote unquote, make it in this industry. So what do I want? Who do I want to be? And I realize hearing you, what I'm hearing is you are, you are doing your part to create an industry where enough is a thing. And that people don't have to come to the place of some sort of profound realization that I will never be enough before they decide to break the mold. Yes. That, that breaking the mold yeah. and doing it your own way should be 
the norm. The baseline. Yes. It shouldn't take that pro- is enough found soul breaking experience to to get one to the point where they can be the the one who decides what direction to take their career or how to how to bring their soul to the world. To be the one who decides what enough is. Yes. Yes. Mm. Mm. That's oh, been... I love you too so much. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> That's been I had that moment, I think this was actually part of um in striving to create that for everyone else. Um, I think at least for me it's it's brought me there as well. Um oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it hit me in a really powerful again pretty much same moment that Anastasia was talking about earlier with the first full-scale dramatic voices program that I realized I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing and I was extremely good at it and I felt extremely personally and professionally fulfilled by it and I was making a tangible difference in the world in this field that I love so much and really for the first and you know maybe I don't know well, there's no should. I shouldn't have discovered this any earlier or whatever. It doesn't matter. But maybe for the first time, it occurred to me that I am the one who gets to define what success looks like for myself. And frankly, I'm I'm pretty sure this is it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Of course, the sky's the limit. And we want to always keep developing and process it, progressing. But I don't have to buy into this idea that success is perpetually somewhere in the distant future. What I want to do ultimately is leave a positive mark on the world through opera and to encourage, to have always encouraged artists to grow and shine and share their beauty and that fire with the world. And I think that with OPB, that's exactly what we're doing. It's really this, it's brought us full circle in that we have, we have also found for ourselves the thing that we want to give. Mm. Yeah. Anastasia, you were like, underlining what she said about noticing how it's coming out in your in your artistry as a singer and I'm curious if that's if that has been a similar experience for you yeah I recently in the past six months had really um profound two very very profound experiences um in realizing how co-leading um OPB has made an impact uh, uh, on me as a performer. I had two auditions four months apart. The first one was with a large agency um, and it was one of the best auditions I've sung. And when I uh, spoke with them after that, they were interested in nothing else but probably a fraction of me. Nothing that I said out of um, and then I have this gig come coming and then I have this gig coming and I, of kind of the cliche talk that I had, it, it, it made it made absolutely no impression. In fact, I felt that as soon as education or leadership left my mouth as a singer, what I had done two me- minutes prior to that and what had impressed them was no longer relevant. Fast forward four months, I had an audition for um, one of my dream roles. Um, 
and uh, with a with a fantastic company in the UK um, who um, produces um, uh, sustainable productions. Um, and I was talking very, very um, casually about conflicts I may have if I'm hired. And I mentioned what the conflict may be. And I was met with curiosity and um, wanting to know more about that. And I realized those are dramatically different experiences. Now, if I was a little younger, my reaction to them, I know from for myself, when I was a younger artist, my reaction to those two experiences would have been very, very different. But I think as Julie said previously, striving to amplify each voice in our industry has brought me to my core as an artist and in an uncompromising position to be whole, to offer everything that I can to put it to service to, to the industry. And it made me realize the two experiences that it has made me a, a phenomenally better artist because of OPB. And not only in my skill and artistry, but also in recognizing the value of organizations and to realize that prior to OPB, I was being auditioned post-OPV or during OPV after that, I am auditioned as much as I'm, I'm auditioning the organization. And really seeing that process as an exchange has dramatically changed the way I look at my place in the industry. So those are the changes that I've seen. It's like this dramatic difference between I'm the conductor of a train and you can get on it or not, or can I please have a ticket to your train? Absolutely. I think we've pretty, for me, we've answered this question, but I would like to hear you speak specifically to this. Um, it's this kind of baggage that we have as singers around pay to sings. And we call them pay to sings because, you know, you pay and you sing. It, I think a lot of it comes from People feel like there's like it's this inequitable hurdle to having a career and it's adding this insult to injury of I took out all these student loans for this career where now I'm having to pay to be part of it. I know you have a lot of similar thoughts. You've already articulated a lot of them because you've been through that yourselves. And I'm interested in speaking specifically to how you have built OPB to to set yourselves apart from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think coming at it as singers and as artists, I think that even if we hadn't personally experienced the, I've taken out all these student loans for a career that I'm now having to pay to participate in, mm -hmm. which <clears throat> we most certainly have, but, Absolutely. <laughs> um, but even, even apart from that, I think, as we've mentioned too, our, our primary goal is to produce the programs that we would have wanted and part of that is value 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 um it is okay yes we are we are a two-person operation without outside funding and so we cannot give our product away but we do everything in our power to make sure that the value of what the artist is getting is 
far above the cost of what they are paying. We've intentionally never calculated how much we actually like earn per hour because we would just die. But um, but we we put a lot of effort into the value of what we offer and to what it, what it's the opposite of taking advantage of artists. Whatever that is, that is what we that that is the baseline for what we are willing to do if we cannot mm-hmm. do that if we cannot at least meet that we don't do it if i may julie and i have had countless conversations about this and we continue to have them over and over and over and over and over again because we don't want to ponder to a you know broken system um definitely there's continued education in every single field. What I think is troublesome is the value put on pay to sings and seeing those as a substitution for higher education because or getting information or learning things that people do not just is not including curriculums in conservatories and music institutions um, that offer a music education that costs many thousands of dollars or euros or whatever. What I think is very, very important is to know why you are there. Why are you doing a pay to sing? We are focused on providing incredible value and we always underprice because we wanted to we wanted to make it as broadly accessible as possible and give scholarships where we can and do everything within our power to welcome you to learn if the reasoning why an artist is participating in young artists young artist program is to get a job th- that is the broken system we we are continuing education institution. That's our goal. Our goal is to provide an environment, the optimal environment for every single artist to learn, to connect you to great uh, faculty and teachers and to provide the best possible environment for every single artist to learn. We will cheer you on. We will meet you eye to eye. We will go out of our way to see you progress and succeed. And that's the essence of uh, continuing education. And that's mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is that if a young artist program of any sort is seen as this is the next thing you have to do in mm-hmm. order to get paying work, a that's where we have a problem. End. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. it's that means exactly. to an end. Whereas the way you are working to meet singers is hi professional artist here are some more tools for your tool belt Mm -hmm. exactly 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 thank you um we've had um, you know such diversity of artists in the different stages of their development from people that are still in school to professional seasoned artists that are changing paths and they need information they need the time to study and to absorb um, different information so we are a hub of knowledge and and education and we want to give that we want to introduce you to great teachers 
and provide environment the ideal environment for you to learn. And access to specific information. We've got a pretty wide variety of offerings in terms of our program topics. And so if there's a particular area in which you feel like your knowledge is less than sufficient, then we're there to fill in that gap. Very few of our programs are sort of general pay to sing, like you come do a role and that that is the end goal. Most mm. of our programs are are very specific in terms of, I want to learn this thing. You know, here's a compact delivery mechanism for getting that knowledge and getting that information and, and, and getting that experience. Mm-hmm. That's very well said. So what is your greatest hope for opera with all of these people that you're, that you're educating and setting loose into the world as empowered people and artists with yourselves becoming more and more empowered and comfortable in your skin as artists and as administrators. What is your hope for opera in 10, 20 years? <laughs> it is such a, I really pondered on that question. Yeah. Um, for me, it's such a loaded, complex question. I I wish for so many things for opera. I had great hopes that the pandemic will shatter, kind of shatter some of the the things and reshape some of the things that we we all secretly hope for for our industry. Um, I think for me, it boils down to two things. Um, One is to make opera uh, a non-elitist art form created by all and for all. Mm. And the second is to amplify and kind of to see that all voices get equal amplification, space, room, encouragement in our industry. Those That's are the fun. two things. Um, kind of, because I went through you know, who gets, who gets funding in the arts and all of that. But I think that those are the things for me that it boils down to. That's how I would like our industry to change, grow and develop and evolve. Yeah, I boiled down to a very similar answer. Um, I hope opera will find new ways to be relevant Um, to bring together the artistry and talent of all people, not just a certain elite group, and to elevate the human experience and be as soul-lifting as it ever has been, but in a more equitable way. Mm. That's beautiful. I do feel like listening to you guys and thinking of this vision of opera as a place where everyone gets seen and everyone gets heard you start to get really excited by the idea of an art form that combines almost all the art forms and at least has has the space to incorporate all of the art forms. Mm-hmm. I get so excited about the idea of an art form that could do that and actually be hearing everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that, oh, well, now suddenly everyone should get to do this no matter how well they have developed their skill or not like it's that is that's certainly not what we're saying it is still 
an absolutely Olympic level skill set. And that's never going to change. This is, this is a really hard thing to do. And it's, um, it takes just an inordinate amount of, of training in order to do it well. And that's also never going to change. And I, I am not advocating for lowering the bar of skill level. I think what we are very much advocating is for equal access to attaining that skill level. I want to break down the barriers and get rid of the gatekeepers at the beginning of the process. Which is um, education. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, really, to really expand the access to, to that training so that it doesn't come down to who could afford it or who looked the right way or who who got there the fastest and you know got themselves trained the youngest those are the only ones who get to to be successful i would really really desire the access to to the attainment of that skill set to be open to everyone and that those who want it may have access to doing the work you know anyone who wants to put in 10 years worth of training (laughs) may put in that 10 years worth of training and achieve you know like it's always going to be that much work it's just everyone should have access to doing the work thank you and so now the fun part you guys just came out with opb's next season Full disclosure, this episode Mm -hmm. will probably not come out for a month, so or maybe even a month and a half. Join us in September. You can't (laughs) join us in September. My apologies to all of my listeners. Um, Yeah, I was about to say it'll come around again. But uh tell us about your season. What are you what are you excited about in the next few months coming up? Yeah, as I said, I know we're both really excited Mm -hmm. about this. Um we are (laughs) as we've we've mentioned the upcoming season has a much more diverse set of programs for us than we've had in the past and also several brand new programs that we're very excited about. I am personally, I'm really excited about the complete guide to relocating to Germany as a singer and the personal branding and business program. These for me are such great kind of bridging the gap programs, basically everything you didn't learn in conservatory, but need to know. I mean, every every single one of these programs is yeah, yeah. Is killer, I mean, but it's like it's, asking I, you to choose I mean, your favorite baby. <laughs> I know we're we're biased. I know, but um, I mean, I'm really really exciting as I mentioned. You know, doing new shiny things. Yeah, uh, get we're really fired up. Um, so I I love seeing you know, our ideas being visualized and then um, becoming a reality. What there are two programs that I'm particularly excited about. One is the dramatic and spin to voices in action, not only because of the the program and the curriculum itself, but also the faculty. It's incredible faculty. Uh, go and check it out. Um, if you're dramatically or spin to inclined, um, <laughs> you should you should check it out. Um, I want to take it too. And the other thing that we've worked on for a while is the first um, large vocal pedagogy symposium. Mm-hmm. Um, it has 12 faculty members. It's about 20, 21 days long, packed with 
the absolute leaders in vocal pedagogy today and vocal science. I'm not going to sleep the week before that because <laughs> I'm so excited to hear every single person mm-hmm. lecture and take Yeah, questions. again, we put together programs that we would have wanted as yes. artists, but we also put so- together programs that we currently want to take. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, we do. we're both there with our notepads out too yeah so um those two are but we also have you know the whole instrument with which is an incredible program um we have a great program of theater regie and auditioning for both Mm -hmm. where we um diving into the minds of a bunch of directors awesome um we've got the auditions plus which is like an extended version of our of our auditions program where everyone gets their own consultation with a singer teacher and a director and with us talking about and with us talking about (laughs) yes how to nail your auditions at that one I'm I'm also really excited about that yeah so there's a lot a lot that we we have going on and um this coming season and so where can people go check it out uh www.operaprogramsberlin.com <laughs> uh or write us an email and just this we're we're everywhere we're on instagram we're facebook mm-hmm. website um, and that's all that's all at opera programs berlin yeah okay yeah yeah Absolutely. and email opera programs berlin at gmail.com yeah we're very easy to find um yeah we're very very excited for the season and thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you about our it's journey. It's so lovely talking to you. And I, our pa- passion. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your stories with me, for being so open and honest about your path. I am excited for the people that, hopefully the people you will serve by talking to me, but the people that you are serving in your work. Thank you for being on Making It an Opera. Y'all, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I so love and enjoy these women and all they're doing in the world. And it is truly my honor to get to introduce you if you didn't know them already. A reminder that links to all things Opera Programs Berlin will be in the show notes, as well as the link to makingitinopera.com, where you can sign up for 10 days of audition pep talks to help remind you why you're out here making it and why your voice matters. And listeners, I want this series to be a conversation between all of us. If you have an opinion, some wisdom to share about what it means to make it in opera, please record it on a voice memo and send it to me at makingitinopera at gmail.com. That's making it without the G. Your voice and your wisdom may be featured on an upcoming podcast. This podcast is a production of Sounds Like Cool with editing by me, and production help from Sarah Decker. Theme music is Our Block Party by Reactor Productions. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Gwendolyn Kuhlman. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.